This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey there, this is the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. Best bits from Wednesday, January the 17th. What have we got? Well, we've got coming up uh, news of a couple of launches, if you like. First up, uh, we hear from the team from Lunate. Lunate Capital uh, just launched the first ETF on the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange that uh, tracks Sharia-compliant Indian equities listed on the Bombay Stock Index. So a lot of interest there being generated in the markets at the moment. Obviously, we've just seen some record numbers coming out of the Indian stock markets recently as well. So this could be a very prosperous year for the team at Lunate. We caught up with their partner, but also the head of public markets, Sharif Salem. Talking to platforms, we also caught up with the general manager for the MENA region of OKX, Rifad Mahesna, joined us live on the show. Uh, why? Because they've just received their license. Uh, OKX is one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, they've just been granted a regulatory license here in Dubai that's going to allow them to offer crypto services to retail clients and more. So it's regulation based, but it also opening up a whole new client and customer base as well uh, for the team at OKX. Uh, we're over to China to catch up with Waisei Ji, the director of Shanghai based of the e- Economist Intelligence Unit. Uh, why? Because the Chinese market under the microscope at the moment, uh, economic growth is likely to slow uh, in the in 2024, according to the latest analysis, uh, and cool yet further the year afterwards. So a lot of people looking for the bounce back ability of China post COVID. That doesn't seem to have come to fruition yet. We got some insight from Weisse. Uh, And I mentioned it was an international show also over to Switzerland. Why? Uh, It was the World Economic Forum over in Davos. We had loads of speakers on stage yesterday, many of which were from the UAE, many of which were talking about the UAE. We had a lot of analysis right here on the show. That's all right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast Podcast. That is the Ukrainian yodeler Sofia Shevchenko uh, coming to prominence in Ukraine's Got Talent in 2017. Uh, 150 million views of her yodeling videos on YouTube. We're diversifying our yodeling this morning. Just you wait until the Japanese yodelers hit. Uh, This is because we are looking at what is happening at Davos. A lot of people on a lot of stages saying a lot of things. A lot of them about... AI. Uh, Let us start actually with the Minister for AI from the UAE, His Excellency Sultan Al-Olama. In the UAE we we believe in the power of artificial intelligence as well as proactive regulation. So instead of rejecting it, how do we use it effectively um, and how do we embrace it? Artificial intelligence is very important and there's a good way for you to understand how important it is. Um, there's no dictionary in the world that can tell you the difference between the word, the word complete and finished. But there's a way for you to understand it. If you use and embrace artificial intelligence, you will be complete. If you do not and you're late, you'll be finished. <laughs> and if you, if you reject it altogether, you will be completely finished. 
Harsh words from His Excellency, but he makes a very valid point. We could talk all we like about the risks of AI or the potential benefits, but it is here like fire and gunpowder. And it could be used for good or evil, but we've got to learn to live with it, haven't we? Bill Gates was also talking about it, wasn't he? He, he? he was doing, he did an interview with Fareed Zakaria of CNN yesterday on the sidelines of all things Davos. And he got all historical on us as well. Everyone loves a bit of historical precedent, don't they, when they're talking about the future of AI. Basically, he predicted that AI will make everyone's lives easier, specifically pointing to the world of medicine and doctors uh, and paperwork, uh, interestingly enough, saying uh, paperwork is part of the job that doctors don't like. We can make that very efficient with AI. Thanks, Bill, for that insight. He went on to say, as we had with the agricultural productivity in 1900, people were like, hey, what are people going to do? In fact, a lot of new things, a lot of new job categories were created and we're way better off than when everybody was doing farm work. This will be like that. So old old McDonald Gates um, uh, was on his tractor and giving us a, a, yeah, a little bit of historical pre- precedent. But yeah, he's not too bothered. No, and Microsoft, of course, under the new leadership of Satya Nadella, has invested in arguably the highest profile um, AI company, uh, OpenAI, creator of ChatGPT. You would expect Sachin Adela to be, if he was on stage at Davos talking about uh, you know, the possibilities of AI, you wouldn't necessarily have expected him to be talking about the UAE. You wouldn't. No, it was a short interview that he did with Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum founder. And this is what Sachin Adela had to say. The UAE has rolled out a personalised tutor uh, for every student in the country. In fact, I think Bill first talked about information at your fingertips at Comdex in 93. And this is more uh, about intelligence at your fingertips or expertise at your fingertips. Think about it. You have now technology like something like GPT-4 that essentially can be used to create a personal tutor for every student in the world, right? It's absolutely economically feasible. Uh, even with just the government spending that's happening even in the global south, right? So it's not just in the UAE, but it can happen everywhere. Um, There was plenty of UAE chat, wasn't there? Um, There was even a uh, a panel moderated by a UAE journalist um, yesterday as well, uh, the Nationals editor-in-chief, Mina al-Orebi, was moderating a panel yesterday that included... Uh, none other than Sheikh Salman bin Khalifa al-Khalifa, the Bahrain Minister of Finance and National Economy. Uh, interesting comments coming out of that one. Um, and interesting comments that sort of, I suppose, will come as a little bit of solace to a number of people out there. So basically, the message coming out was that uh, GCC countries complement rather than compete in diversification at the moment. Um, Six-member block, gross domestic product of 2.3 trillion a year, moving towards that 3 trillion GDP per annum economic zone by 2030. Um, Apparently, they're working together. So I know we talk about the competition all the time and who's got headquarters where and who's got better hotels and who's got the highest tower, etc. But they're all working together. But the very fact that they had that panel on there and, of course, moderated by a regional journalist, I think is significant. That was a cracking 
Um, some cracking stuff yesterday. The Gulf has a significant presence there. You mentioned Mina's panel yesterday. She had the Bahraini economy minister on, also Khalid Al-Fali from Saudi Arabia. I, I watched not all of that paddle, but a bit of it. And Mina did start by joking that both she and the Bahraini economy minister are members of the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders <laughs> community. And she said, I'm not sure how much longer we've got left as young global <laughs> leaders, but we'll take it. <laughs> I'm looking at her LinkedIn profile, actually. She's obviously based in, uh, in Abu Dhabi. If we look where she, when she graduated from university, we could probably find out how old she is. Uh, so I'll see if I can drag that one up. I bet I'm sure she's going to appreciate you doing that as well. <laughs> Morning, Mina. Oh, there's Tom's LinkedIn stalking of guests. Um, uh, and then there is this. Right, so Davos this morning. Um, we shall continue looking at what is coming out of that meeting, but it is not the only story that we are looking at. Let's have a look at what's happening in our lineup in a few moments. Uh, Rich is going to be chatting to a man in Beijing. Yeah, breaking news out of China. Since we've been on air, GDP data for last year is out just below forecast 5.2%. Not great. What does that mean for China, the world economy, and of course for us here in the UAE? Wei Zhiji is standing by in Shanghai, speaking to him in about 10 minutes. Before we hear from him, let's get the local take on that. Dan Richard, Senior Economist at Emirates NBD. Uh, what does this morning's numbers tell us about the global economy? China saw year-on-year GDP growth of 5.2% in the fourth quarter. So that puts full year 2023 at also 5.2%, which does beat the official target of 5%, but it's still pretty weak for the economy, which has struggled to regain speed following the pandemic reopening, with concerns around the property sector in particular weighing on growth. Now, this data follows on for a confirmation earlier in the week that Germany saw a recession in 2023. So that's two of the world's largest and most important economies still struggling to get up to speed. We had more weak data out of Germany yesterday, the current expectations ZEW data. Well, December data from China was pretty mixed, with retails expanding 7.4% year on year in December. So pretty strong on the face of it, but still missing the 8% prediction. And if these two giants continue to struggle this year, it will grey on growth around the world. And the business breakfast question, what does it mean for us? Now, we watch developments in China of interest and it does have some bearing on what happens in the UAE here as well. China is the UAE's largest trade partner and prior to the pandemic, we had also been seeing increasing numbers of visitors from China here well into the top 10 source markets. The expectation that they will return in force this year is one factor that should support the tourism sector, even if the global slowdown bites a bit more forcefully in other key source markets. And finally, as well, the Chinese are also becoming more important for the real estate sector, with Knight Frank citing them in its report on growth in the luxury segment released earlier this week. And Dan Richards of Emirates, NBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's get the latest on those China economic numbers now. Out within the past hour, 5.2% GDP growth in 2023 for China, slightly below some analysts' forecast. Wei Shiji is Director of the Economist Intelligence Unit, joins us now live from Shanghai. Wei Shi, good morning. Thanks for being with us. What were your first impressions from this data? Well, uh, 5.2 is indeed higher than the uh, government's official targets, uh, which, is, which is about 5, set at the beginning of last year. And it is indeed lower than our expectations. The most recent forecast made by the EIU was about 5.5%. And the major reason is that we were actually predicting a higher economic growth in the fourth quarter of uh, last year than the real data showed, which was about 5.2%. Uh, manufacturing productivity uh, was the 
uh, was a weak weak manufacturing productivity and uh, capacity utilization was the main drag for the uh, economic uh, pattern that we are observing uh, in the fourth quarter of last year. But overall, uh, I uh, we believe that uh, the 5.2 percent is still largely in line with our uh, uh, expectation in general. How would you characterize the Chinese economy at the moment? Reuters has been quite scathing this morning. They're talking about a feeble post-COVID recovery in China. Kristalina Georgieva has been speaking at the World Economic Forum, talking about the need for reform in China to arrest what she calls a significant decline in growth rates. What's your take? Well, uh, it's very natural for a economy with a size as large as China to you know, observing a declining trend in terms of real GDP growth. Uh, what's really concerning to us is that uh, uh, if uh, China's per capita GDP is still only one sixth of that of the United States, and China really needs some growth steam, especially from the private sector to support its, uh, to sustain its continuing growth into a high income country, uh, status and uh, I, I actually agree with a lot of analysts that some structural reforms within the country uh, is in need at this moment. The major drags we are looking at in China's uh, economy, structural drags, includes uh, first of all the very weak consumer confidence, uh, still very weak consumer confidence, and also the very much sluggish property sector uh, that we are expecting to uh, to see a trend of uh, stabilization by the end of this year. In terms of what's going to be the big driver of the Chinese economy going forward, most forecasts are for four and a bit percent growth this year, which is not stellar, but still for a major economy, four percent growth. Most countries would snatch your hand off for growth above four percent. What are going to be the, the real engines for the economy? Well, we believe that uh, while the uh, Chinese government is still trying to boost up private consumption as the main growth driver and main pillar for China's economic uh, uh, growth and development for this year, uh, however, uh, probably uh, the major uh, contributor will be uh, investments in especially public infrastructure uh, uh, projects led by fiscal expansion by both the central and uh, local governments. Actually, the Central Bank of China and also the the uh, fi- uh, of, uh, public financial departments and agencies of China have been uh, carrying out uh, plans and also uh, expansionary plans in order to support uh, different types of infrastructure uh, investments and projects at the uh, both local, uh, at the, especially at the local level. And we believe that investments uh, in such projects will become the most important contributor to China's economic growth in the year of 2024. Weishi, what can we expect in terms of China's economic relationship with the Middle East in general? and the UAE, where we are in particular? Uh, We are actually seeing uh, the bilateral relations between China and the UAE is actually the bright spots uh, of China's external relations, especially in terms of economic ties. We are expecting to see an an increase, I mean, a, a closer ties between China and UAE, especially through uh, corporations uh, that are related uh, in infrastructure investments, uh, including uh, the, the, the infrastructure projects that are uh, uh, related to the smart city constructions now within the within uh, within the, uh, the, the 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 Middle East and and China is definitely developing new comparative advantages in such projects and these are going to be the main uh, areas for collaboration between these two parties. A final quick word on geopolitics, Wei Ji. Certainly globally, 
we see a lot of headlines about China's relationship with Taiwan. We know we've had elections in, in Taiwan over the past few days or so. China's ongoing friction, can we call it that, with the, the United States in terms of trade relationships. How do you see this one playing out in 2024? Should we be concerned or is this just the normal geopolitics playing out? Well, one thing we have to know is that uh, the cross-strait, cross-Taiwan strait relations is largely guided and constrained by the bilateral relations between China and the United States. And at this moment, we see that uh, the Chinese and the U.S. governments are trying to stabilize their bilateral relations in the year of 2024, uh, especially in face of the upcoming presidential elections. A stable uh, cross-strait relations is very critical to uh, Biden administration's uh, uh, the election campaign. So we believe that given uh, there is an expected trend of stabilization of US-China relations, the risk of a war uh, uh, break, uh, breakout across the Taiwan Strait is actually pretty low. But indeed, as the uh, president elected within Taiwan actually is a very active supporter of uh, Taiwan independence, the central government of China will try to be tougher, especially in terms of uh, economic ties, uh, I mean, uh, economic uh, sanctions towards the island to showcase some of the attitudes uh, from from the part of the mainland's government. Wei Shi, thanks so much for joining us uh, just an hour after that data came out. I know it's a busy day for you. I can see uh, Economist Intelligence Unit headquarters in Shanghai. It's a hive of activity behind you. So we'll let you get back to that. Appreciate your time this morning. Wei Shiji is director with the EIU in Shanghai. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's talk cryptos. Let's talk blockchain. Let's talk licenses. Why? Because OKX Middle East have received a virtual asset service provider license. That's otherwise known as a VASP. Uh, they've got that from Dubai's Virtual Assets Regulatory Authority, uh, more commonly known as VARA. Uh, what's it going to mean? Well, let's ask uh, the boss if we can, because joining us now is the general manager for the MENA region of OKX, one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. Rifad Mahasena joins us now live on the line, also live via Microsoft Teams. Rifad, thanks so much indeed for your time. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So, um, significant milestone for you guys. Just how significant? Uh, pretty significant. We're super thrilled about it. It is a great milestone that we've been uh, working towards for the uh, half of last year, and we're pushing around to close it off this year. Now, this comes in, our license comes in with a, uh, a set of conditions that we're working to fulfill over the next few weeks, and we're excited to get this uh, done so we can actually launch the product out in public. But as a company which is very pro-regulation, this is one of the major milestones for us. Uh, we wanted to get this license. We looked at Dubai as a key uh, investment area for us, um, and we're excited to be part of this license. And I think uh, overall, the process of the license has been great, and the partnership with Vara has been great in, in us getting to here today. You mentioned the the importance of Dubai for you as a key investment area as well. We hear that quite often from um, yeah. the crypto industry, uh, that the regulatory frameworks that have been put in place, the, the joint ventures that are available. Is this, uh, is this a partnership in many ways between you and Dubai moving forward? Uh, absolutely. The way we look at this partnership is, is one, we have 
a working uh, relationship, a great working relationship with our regulator here, who've set up the regulation in a way that uh, caters to consumer protection, trading protections, but also inspires innovation. And this is a key part because Dubai is building an ecosystem around crypto. And we are super excited to start activating these synergies with companies in Dubai itself. And I think this is a key component of why we chose Dubai, because you get to work with within the same regulatory space, uh, companies in crypto that are involved in infrastructure, involved in issuance, involved in listing, uh, which is a very exciting time for us. And I think it's one of the few cities in the world where you can get this privilege to, to work within a common ecosystem. So that was a key, key selling point for us. What about the practicalities here? Because we mentioned there about the partnership. We mentioned about the license. We mentioned about the fact that it is a milestone. But what does that license now allow you as a platform, uh, enable the company to do and provide? Yeah, excellent question. Thanks for that. What we are known for essentially is crypto to crypto trading. Uh, and in this case, we will be offering in the UAE that same service. But in addition, what we're also more excited about is that we're going to be able to offer uh, fiat to crypto trading services. And in, in this particular case, Dirham or AAD-based uh, crypto trading, where users in the UAE will be allowed to deposit from their own bank accounts with uh, OKX and, and likewise withdraw their funds whenever they're done with, with the trading activity. And on top of that, we're offering AAD trading pairs, meaning users can go and select AAD to Bitcoin, AAD to Ethereum, and a list of other coins, which is something that is, is new to us. And that's why we're excited to launch it in, in the UAE first. Uh, so it's going to be a big deal for us in regards to the fiat trading aspect. The whole idea of, of, of regulation, uh, there you are, you've got the license approval. You've mentioned already the investment into regulation here, uh, not just in Dubai, but across uh, the region uh, as a whole to a certain degree. How's that sort of impacting on trading at the moment? Is that enhancing the, 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 the whole role of consumer protection? And is that what the consumers, your customers, your clients are looking for? Absolutely. And I think this whole exercise came about from feedback from our clients. And Take the UAE example and in Dubai specific case, we have uh, a lot of institutional clients here and potential new institutional clients who value regulation now as a key part in choosing the platform that they choose. Uh, and this for us will be key selling point now when we go actually uh, work with these institutions. And now even the retail clients uh, in the UAE and, and beyond are actually looking at exchanges and looking which ones provide the best security, provide the best regulation, provide the best custody. So regulation is becoming on its own um, a selling point, and we, we, we're glad to be a part of that business. So a move like this is an opportunity to, to target more clients, to open it up to, to more clients that you might have had before? Absolutely. And I think that's, that's the main reason we've, we've invested here. And I think the, the one point that I mentioned is the ecosystem. The second point is the potential of this market. The UAE is one of the most uh, biggest markets when it comes to crypto as a very sophisticated client base that understands crypto, both on the retail and institutional side. So we are bullish that this license will even propel our growth further uh, in the UAE uh, and beyond. Rifa, what's your reading of the, the current market at the moment uh, for cryptocurrencies? Obviously, last week was a significant, I know we've used the word milestone time and times again, but significant milestone for the industry as a whole with the uh, Bitcoin ETF approval last week. A lot of people expecting Bitcoin to go through the roof as a result of that one. That hasn't been the case. There's been fluctuation as always. But how are you reading the market? I get this question a lot, and I think we we are at least in OKX. We're not in the in the in the business of speculation on, on pricing 
or where the direction. But what, what I can say, at least personally, from my view, is with the ETF news, we welcome the extra discourse, the extra discussion that's happening around the crypto industry. I think this is something, if it, if it has positive uh, attributes to this industry, that we welcome a lot. In the end of the day, we're a trading technology firm. Uh, so the more discussion, the more adoption of this industry, because we're bullish on it. Uh, so the more the discussion that we see, it's actually very welcome news for us. In terms of the landscape at the moment, and it's great news for you and all the team uh, at OKX and, of course, uh, other. But we have heard the fact we've heard rumours that uh, many other uh, platforms, organisations are targeting this area. Is that is that good for business? Is that good for your business competition and a sort of further enhancing of the landscape as a whole? Yeah, uh, competition is a core part of, 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 of any business. And I think what we're focusing on is at least to be the most competitive from our side, which means the license is one key aspect. The second aspect now is building our operation in Dubai, launching that operation, providing the best secure app for users that they can trust. And we will build on that as a strong competitive uh, point. Um, so our focus is on what we do. And I think with regards to external competition, it's always going to be there. The only way or the best way to compete is focusing on your product and what you do. And this is where we're going to focus on in the next few months. Really positive start to 2024. Um, Excited about what the rest of this year holds? Very. I think we started on the right track. The license is the came in at the perfect timing. Uh, We're excited to to continue to build our capabilities and, and and excited to potentially come back on this show soon enough and announce that we've launched our services. Um, and then from there, I think it's just uh, us working to grow this market. There's huge potential in Dubai and the UAE in general, and we're just excited to be a part of it. Looking forward to welcoming you back onto the show, Riffa. That's for sure. Always welcome. Uh, congratulations on the license. All the best for 2024. Well done to the general manager for the MENA region of OKX, one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange. They've just been granted their regulatory license here in Dubai. Our thanks to Rifat Mahasana joining us live on the line. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. From the Indian currency to the Indian stock market now, shares falling in Mumbai this morning in the first few minutes of trade but reaching a record high earlier on this week with the Sensex index above 73,000 points. One UAE company that wants to ride that wave is Lunate Capital, part of Abu Dhabi's ADQ Wealth Fund. They've just launched an exchange-traded fund to track Indian markets. Sharif Salam is partner and head of public markets at Lunate, joins us now live on the line from Abu Dhabi. Sharif, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So the world has had ETS tracking the Indian stock market for many years now. Why have you decided to do this? Well, interestingly, I mean, this is our 13th ETF uh, listing here in the UAE markets. It's the 11th on the ETF platform on ADX. Um, And it's bringing global markets here to uh, local investors, uh, the ability to easily access these markets and access um, uh, access through an ETF product, which gives them a broad-based exposure to these markets. Um, so we brought some of the biggest markets here to ADX, and uh, really India was uh, one of those markets. It's it's one of those um, rising economies. Um, well, not rising. It's it's been rising and continues to do extremely well. And the outlook for the Indian economy is is uh, quite bright. And I get that the world's fastest growing major economy with growth of six, maybe even seven percent at the moment. 
What's going to be inside this ETF? I, for example, based in the UAE, I own a Sensex ETF fund through my online uh, trading platform. I'm sure many others do as well. Yours is a Sharia compliant fund. What are going to be the top holdings, the top Indian companies within this? Yeah, so as you as you correctly mentioned, this is a Sharia compliant uh, ETF. Though, so therefore, uh, banks are not in there. Uh, so what makes up the uh, the largest part of this uh, of this ETF is um, the IT sector, um, which is uh, also a very uh, um, it, it's it's a very you know popular sector. It's uh, high growth. Uh, so you have companies like um, Infosys, uh, Tata consultancy, uh, reliance, um, some of the big name companies, not not just Indian big names, but globally, um, they are the big names in, in, um, in the world. And yet valuations at India, given that it's a record high, are very rich at the moment. I know you've been crunching the numbers. The, the nifty index is around about 23, 24 times earnings at the moment. Looking at one report from Waterfield Advisors saying that the Indian market at the moment is priced for perfection. Is there a risk that this is the, the, the top of a bubble and maybe not the right time to buy? Look, by by uh, when we launch ETFs, we're not really taking a call on the market. Um, we're providing easy access to uh, to investors to um, to to be able to invest in that market. As you know, and as I I, I believe you're probably using ETFs in the same way. They're they're perfect um, uh, product to use as a savings uh, in in part of a savings plan where you invest on a monthly basis. Um, the outlook for India uh, may differ between analysts uh, with regards to uh, the one-year, the four-year, the five-year outlook. Um, but needless to say, the economy is is uh, doing well, very well. The outlook, uh, you know, IMF has uh, outlooks uh, going up to five and ten years, and that's really what you're buying. It's the it's the long-term growth uh, story. Uh, with all the ups and downs that come with it, uh, markets, as you know, are not in a straight line. Um, so markets do correct. Um, but timing markets is difficult. And um, accessing uh, through an ETF, a broad-based exposure, um, on a monthly basis will really even out that uh, those uh, um, rises and falls and uh, gives you a long-term um, sort of uh, uh, product to, to, to save in. And with a diversified you know, um, ETF allocation where you have allocations to different types of ETFs um, is the perfect saving schemes. And that's the reason uh, U.S. is one of the highest in terms of uh, assets under management because uh, most Americans use ETFs as savings plans. If we look at the costs of this ETF, when people buy into ETFs, they want it to be as cheap as possible. The point is not to pay management fees to fund managers. The likes of Vanguard and and BlackRock iShares have got these margins down to way for thin, just a a few basis points in some cases. What are the costs, total cost ratio, to use a bit of jargon on this one? Yeah, it's it's um, you know a lot of people talk about um, uh, the the low uh, margin or the low cost, the low TER on US and and even some 
uh, European ETFs, but really the markets are quite different. Um, the uh, TER on this fund is 1%. If you look at um, one of the biggest ETFs in India, um, it's at 75 basis points. You look across, there are 31 ETFs globally that invest in India, that track the Indian stock market, and their, um, uh, their TERs or their total expense ratios are anywhere between 50 to 80 basis points. Um, doing business in the Middle East is is um, a lot more expensive, um, and the 1% is all you pay. A lot of times people uh, look at mutual fund, sorry, uh, look at mutual funds and and see a one percent or one and a half percent, but then you don't know the additional cost. But one percent is all in, um, and Indian markets is one of the hardest markets to set up in. Um, uh, it, you know, it took us quite a while to to set this fund up. Um, so uh, so the uh, the uh, access to that market is quite difficult, and uh, we're giving you that, or the ETF is providing that access um, at a one percent fee. Sheriff, good news. Thanks very much indeed for joining us to share it. Goldman Sachs says they're expecting, to use their phrase, a flood of capital into India on the back of the elections, which are happening in just a few weeks' time. Uh, let's hope for your sake that your ETF gets some of it. Uh, Sharif Salam is partner and head of public markets at Lunate Capital in Abu Dhabi on the launch of their new Indian ETF. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.